Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Joanne Lin, Principal at Newark Venture Partners, and Rudy Valley, Angel Investor at Jumpstart Angels. Joanne, tell us about yourself and, and where you work. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Jim. And it's really great to, to be able to share the, the panel with Rudy as well. Um, so hi, everyone. Um, happy Wednesday. My name is Joanne Lynn. I'm a principal at Newark Venture Partners. We're an early stage technology venture fund um, focused mostly on B2B software investing. Um, and we are headquartered right here in Newark, New Jersey. Fund really started about um, five years ago now. We're operating out of our second fund vehicle, um, really focused on um, seed and seed extension kind of stage companies, potentially some small A's and some on the other end, potentially some pre-seed companies. Um, and we are focused right now on investing in a few active investment theses, one of which is health tech. I actually lead our health tech investment thesis. I know there are a lot of health tech founders out there, especially in New Jersey. Um, we're also going deep in supply chain and logistics. So as we continue to talk about you know, the um, aftermath of, of 2020 and what that means, I think that's an interesting area that we've really been active in. Um, and then also the space of sort of new media and audio. So um, that's a little bit about the fund. We have large corporate LP partners, the strategic um, partners within our fund, including Audible, uh, Panasonic, RWJ, Barnabas, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, Dun & Bradstreet, and uh, NJEDA is also part of our, our LP base. So great connections to the greater newer community and the, the large enterprises there. Um, myself, I've been in the venture scene for about um, six years now. Um, Co-founded a company, um, also based in Newark, uh, spent time on Wall Street and as a teacher through Teach for America. So a very windy road to get to where I am today. Thank you, Joanne. Rudy, go ahead. Yeah, folks, uh, good afternoon. I'm also uh, pleased to be uh, joined with Joanne and, and Jim. Um, I'm a Jersey boy. Uh, I've been a Jerseyite all my life. Went to school locally in Montclair State. Started my career with IBM. And after spending some time with IBM, I got my first um, entrepreneurial start with um, joining a company that had uh, joined about two or three years late, earlier rather. And it was my most fun experience in that I had three rules. I didn't do anything illegal, unethical, or unprofitable. And within those uh, three rules, we did whatever we needed to do to win the business, which was a great foundation from IBM and then the flexibility of an uh, entrepreneurial company. Um, then I moved to Ernst & Young, uh, developing a sales culture within their audit and tax practice, and then evolved to management consulting. My last corporate job was with uh, what was then Anderson Consulting, became Accenture, um, retired from them about 18 years ago, uh, started my own consulting firm and some entrepreneurial businesses, uh, one of which was in Rio de Janeiro. And that um, my wife asked me, you know, what do you enjoy doing? And I said, international travel. So she said, set up a business that involves that. And okay. And uh, so every uh, quarter I was going to a different part of Rio and uh, 
really enjoyed that experience. Uh, today, what's uh, relevant for our conversation is I'm a member of the New Jersey Jumpstart Angel Group and uh, making investments through that vehicle as well as some of my own personal investments in Brazil. Uh, I'm also a football official, a lacrosse official, and teach entrepreneurial finance at uh, Fairleigh Dickinson. Thank you, Rudy. Well, yeah. you guys bring a lot of experience uh, in, di in different areas. So thanks for being here today. So tell us, we've just gone through past pandemic year, which has been sort of uh, very challenging for everyone, uh, including entrepreneurs. How are you seeing um, the entrepreneurs that you're dealing with? You know, um, let's just take us through a year ago until today and, you know, maybe talk about how things are looking post pandemic as we mm -hmm. come out of this uh, eventually in the, in the near future. So Joanne, give us a, give us your take on, on how you're seeing the startup and entrepreneurial community. Yeah, I think it's, it's been um, an interesting 12 months <laughs> um, to say the least in at least the institutional venture capital world, right? Um, the, there's a, there's a report that comes out, the NBCA Venture Monitor report that kind of goes over activity over 12 months in the last few quarters. Um, and so it was really interesting to see the trends coming out of, of 2020 where, you know, VC activity really didn't slow down at all of the overall, right? At the outset, you know, in April and May, I, I, we could talk from experience as a fund, you know, there was a lot of hesitation. There was concern around shifting an entire industry that used to be very reliant on in-person meetings, um, especially at the seed stage where you really want to get to know the founders because there's not that much traction to go off of um, to, to try to continue to do diligence and invest in companies on a remote only and kind of a Zoom only environment. So there was a lot of hesitation. I would say maybe there was a pause um, in the April and May phase and, and maybe you st start to see some hesitation from investors. But really, I think come third quarter and fourth quarter, there was a realization that this is going to be the norm for a while. And, um, you know, funds really had to just continue to deploy capital. And we got used to doing diligence via Zoom. Um, deals continued to close. Uh, so it's, it was pretty interesting to see that. And even at the early stage, um, deal count, I think, was comparable, fairly comparable to 2019. Round sizes actually increased, and then average valuations were were pretty stable. I think they decreased a little bit, but um, so that's I think at a macro level really interesting. Uh, and then you kind of compare that to what anecdotally our founders experience, or even just in the founder community. Uh, there's a I think a little bit of a dichotomy that happened, right? So a lot of super early stage founders, and it'd be curious, be curious to get Rudy's take on this, but a lot of, um, you know, pre-seed and uh, angel round founders really struggled because a lot of the activity was probably insider led round. So you don't already have existing investors. It's really hard to kind of drum up um, the right network, especially when, again, things are, are um, digital only. So I think there was, uh, a struggle for folks that don't already have a strong network. 
And, and that makes it really difficult, especially when you're hearing about, oh, there's all this money flowing in venture still. And um, it, it, I think it makes the, the founder experience particularly frustrating um, in those cases. Great, thank you, Joanne. Rudy, how about you? Yeah, I, well, certainly I, I share Joanne's assessment. I would, I would think it's uh, safe to continue to say that um, you know, entrepreneurial ventures and startups are still suffering. Uh, in the early part of the pandemic, you know, from an angel perspective, um, we really, I and my colleagues stopped looking at brand new ventures. We were very concerned about our existing investments, uh, those entrepreneurial startups um, from the standpoint of having now zero revenue coming in uh, for a lot of them, uh, cash flow really suffered. So we were particularly concerned about the existing entrepreneurial uh, companies we had under investment for them to continue to survive. I think after about three months, we felt that that had stabilized, you know, the good ones figured it out, uh, you know, tightened their belts and uh, or pivoted in directions to gain some, uh, you know, some cash flow. Um, and we, we went back to the community of early uh, startups. And I think from the perspective of, of an investor, and I, I hate to say this in one respect, we, we're doing okay. I mean, we found our personal net worths rising and so forth. So we were still eager to invest in opportunities that made sense. And, um, you, you know, you had the dichotomy where you had these startups really having cash flow kind of issues. But for those organizations who knew how to manage cash flow and had a good story to tell, uh, we were still eager to listen. And um, the experience of, uh, you know, Zoom and virtual meetings, it, it's really increased the activity for us. And that um, we have meetings once a month that we typically see about three new entrepreneurial ventures. And when we were meeting physically, certain members couldn't come, you know, because of just different business needs. Now that we're meeting virtually, uh, we have greater level of activity, greater uh, membership participation. And interestingly enough, we're also collaborating with other angel groups. Um, so we have a greater um, pool of resources, if you will, to offer the uh, entrepreneurial environment. Great, great. So, um, so that's hopeful, right? That the investing has gone on and those anecdotal signs are, are, are good as far as the level of activity. Uh, in addition to some of the stats. So for the funding locally, what you're seeing, let's just talk about, we already mentioned what's happened during the pandemic. How are you seeing things change going forward? Are, um, are we optimistic? Uh, will there be more opportunities? Are we concerned about pipeline issues or uh, funding sort of um, levels or, or I'm sorry, valuation levels that are maybe too exuberant? Um, so what are, what are we seeing now uh, in the marketplace, Joanne. Yeah, I, you know, I am not I'm not seeing activity slow down, right? I, I think, especially as we, you know, as a as a society are kind of positioning ourselves as, as coming out of the pandemic now, and there's light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I I don't see any reason why. Um, you know, I think investment activity is going to slow down. Pipeline is definitely not slowed down. You know, we think it's definitely ramped up. And as, as Rudy said, you know, there's, there's definitely advantage 
to being remote only because you can schedule back to back to back to back pitch meetings. Um, and there, there are plenty of founders that are coming to the market. Um, I think for our, you know, for our entrepreneurs out there, that just also means there's a lot of noise in the market, right? So there's a lot of competition um, for the dollars that are out there. And um, unfortunately, I think one trend that we are that we have seen is that um, investors to some extent have been flocking to what they know and what they're comfortable with and to some extent. So there's like more, more pattern recognition type of investing and first time founders or underrepresented founders are, are not seeing as much, um, uh, you know, I guess attention from, from investors. So, um, Unfortunately, in the second half of 2020, I think venture dollars towards female founders actually decreased for the first time in three years. Um, and especially as we're talking so much about diversity in the VC ecosystem, that's disappointing to see. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we, we move out of that in the sort of the midterm um, when investors start to feel, again, more comfortable with, with where we are and that we're moving out of, of a, a pandemic state. Okay, uh, Rudy. Yeah, I would. I just want to kind of circle back and and acknowledge that you know those entities who were like pre-launch, they've really seen their dreams kind of delayed, uh, at least in the the first half of the pandemic. Because I know from my perspective uh, and my colleagues, we were reluctant to invest in something brandy new that we couldn't get our arms around. Um, as we've gotten more um, comfortable with the new environment of how we do due diligence and so forth. Uh, I would characterize our, our mood right now as cautiously, op cautiously optimistic. Um, we do see uh, you know, the pipeline steady. We are beginning now to talk to um, brand new entities who have uh, new ideas. Um, and I think from our perspective, we're open to any opportunity that makes sense. So and I, I say and emphasize that's changed in the last six months. Um, so for those uh, organizations who had their dreams delayed, I think the uh, you know the come on in sign is is open now. Yeah. Uh, and the entrepreneur founders need to be very adept at communicating in in a kind of a Zoom environment. Um, personally, I don't like it. I rather interact with uh, the founders of. You know, in a physical kind of environment, in terms of follow up and, and go to their places of business and touch and feel and see. Uh, but with that not being in cards at the moment, you find other ways. And that's a measure of the entrepreneur's creativity in terms of how well can they uh, demonstrate their business idea, their opportunity, uh, their, their staffing, um, how well they've pivoted. Um, one of the interesting things we've seen during the uh, COVID pandemic is everybody seems to have an answer for COVID. You know, they've, they've <laughs> changed their business uh, to, to fit COVID. And for those where it makes sense, that's fine. For some others, it, it, it kind of say, you know, you know, if it doesn't fit, don't push it because that's a, that's a red flag right away. Yeah. But um, as an environment uh, for the short term, medium term, 
I think I see things returning to quote unquote normal, just the process by which we make our evaluations and due diligence is currently different. And I think to piggyback a little bit off of what Rudy mentioned, right? Um, you know, maybe in, in mid in mid 2020, right? There was a reluctance to look at things that were uh, brand new or pre-launch or just a, a little bit out there. Um, but as the dust settles and we start to see, you know, macro trends um, emerge within industries. I mentioned healthcare and supply chain, which I think are two that were dr dramatically changed because of COVID. I think that creates huge opportunities within those sectors for technology companies to try new things, right? And now investors are, again, reading the tea leaves and understanding where the puck is going. And then they're more comfortable making those investments into brand new ideas, which is how innovation happens, which I think is really exciting. Um, what, what you will see, and again, to, to Rudy's other point is that a lot of companies that maybe were able to raise money because they just like jumped onto a like, COVID bandwagon and pivoted a, a product that I think there's going to be like a graveyard of those companies that start to emerge because they maybe were not able to think long-term enough when, with their strategy and that those uh, the tailwinds are going to fall away, don't have sustainable business models. And so uh, companies need to be agile in their strategy as they think about coming out of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. So what about this new, I know this is looking into the future, but we have a new trillion, uh, two trillion plus uh, infrastructure bill that has high hopes of, of getting through. Uh, how does, does that macro sort of um, stimulus um, sort of affect how you see the future or is that all all positive and sort of just uh, provides more confidence uh, levels I'll, I'll jump in if, yeah, if I may. yeah. Uh, for me it, it does increase the confidence um, that we're coming out of the pandemic that economic activity is on the rise um, organizations, are, have been stabilized and now I think are positioned to grow. And that kind of filters down to the, the startup and seed companies if they're smart. And if, you know, I guess the point I would make is we're always gonna have challenges, whether it's a recession or a new form of technological competition or regulation changes. And the really good people, the good managers, the good leaders find a way to survive and thrive and take market share. So COVID really kicked everybody in the teeth, but there are some organizations who are really able to take advantage of that. Um, those are the winners. In the same respect, those organizations who don't have a product or service that lends itself to COVID, they need to be patient. And, and I think things are coming out of it. I, I'll give you one example from uh, an investment uh, that I have. Um, I have an organization who developed um, an app uh, aimed at millennials uh, to help them um, host parties, schedule parties, invite, um, collect the money, 
let people enter at the door. And the application lends itself also to a lot of other events. Well, they were, they had just, they went through a couple rounds of angel money. They had a minimally uh, viable product. Uh, they were about to launch a whole new marketing campaign with a refreshed offering and COVID hit and you can't have parties on campus, right? So what do you do? So they, they turned off their existing application and really focused their effort on improving the product and preparing a strategy for when uh, the environment changed. So they had the opportunity to really kind of take hold and say, okay, we really can't position our offering you know, on a COVID bandwagon, but we are able to survive, monitor our cash and direct our resources to the right, right things. So I think those type of organizations are going to do well now that we're coming out of it because they'll, they'll, they'll be a pent up demand for the type of offerings and services that they have. Got it. And Joanne, how do you see it? I, I agree. You know, I do think that that's a general positive, right? Um, it gives confidence that whether it's down to the consumer level that there's um, more stability with um, individuals and their incomes and and their personal situations, um, but also stimulating the economy as how they spend their money and from a, an enterprise and business perspective as well. So um, I, I do think overall that's a positive. Great. Uh, now, Rudy, what about Brazil? You mentioned you've uh, you're. you're keenly aware of the environment there. How does that compare uh, to, the, to the US? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Brazil right now is having a tough time. I mean, they, uh, they have a current leader who uh, didn't really focus on COVID as a problem. And I think they're, they're paying the price for it now. They're gonna come out of it slower, longer than I think we are in the US. However, in the entrepreneurial environment, that, that community, the, the cream is still rising to the crop. There are entities that are, are doing well and they're getting the investment money. Um, currently, the way I'm looking at investments in Brazil is I have a uh, organization that manages a portfolio of entities. And I would say a good 75% of them are doing fine. Um, in terms of new opportunities, um, working with uh, a bunch of guys where we're evaluating uh, new business uh, ventures. Um, one lends itself to crowdsourcing. Uh, and if you've, it's like uh, in Brazil, uh, the production of cattle, uh, sustainable uh, agriculture and the production of sustainable cattle is a big deal. And um, we're gonna now have the consuming public participate in investing on these cattle ranches. And we're gonna make that a international kind of opportunity. So there is still opportunities for creativity, uh, both in a domestic market and a global market, if you think about the macro trends and to the degree that uh, people in the US and people around the world are interested in sustainability, um, fair farming and, and farming and agricultural management practices, and if you have kind of a comparative advantage in that arena, as Brazil does, uh, then there are opportunities around that that you can take advantage of. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. 
So what about entrepreneurs, right? We've mentioned how they've had a rough year. Let, let's talk about advice we can give entrepreneurs who are just thinking about getting started to those who are in companies that already have funding or some funding. So Joanne, can you comment on, on you know, what advice in general we can give to entrepreneurs? Yeah, um, you know, what, one piece of advice I think, so when we talk about entrepreneurs, I think it's a fairly broad category. And a lot of times every entrepreneur gets bucketed into like a, um, these, these conversations or that pulled into conversations around venture capital funding. I think one thing is important is to make sure that venture capital is the right type of capital for you and your business. Um, because it is a, a very different ecosystem. Um, and as we mentioned, right, not always the, the most founder friendly, depending on what's going on in, in the macro sense. So I think for entrepreneurs to really understand, you know, whether or not venture capital, which can be a time and in, time intensive and, and painful process, raising venture capital can be a painful process for founders. Um, <clears throat> you have to figure out whether or not that's the right type of capital. Um, there's, as Rudy just mentioned, you know, crowdfunding is, is a way to raise capital. Um, there's revenue-based financing out there um, that I think a lot of companies have shown can be really effective for just getting the capital for your business. Um, it really depends. So I think that's one thing that I think is important to delineate because some people get caught up with all the buzz of venture capital and um, it's always not, it's not necessarily uh, the best choice for every company. Right. Rudy? I have three pieces of advice and it's, it's um, relevant whether we're coming out of COVID or not. You know, it's um, first the entrepreneur founder needs to remain very persistent and enthusiastic, you know. As an invest, investor, I really look for the passion and the enthusiasm that the founder has for the business opportunity. And when faced with questions, tough questions and challenges, you need to be careful not to get defensive. Um, I mean, I recognize it's their baby and if, if someone's throwing something at their baby, uh, you know, it's tough sometimes. But uh, embrace the no. You know, when, when someone says no, it's a lot better than not getting any feedback. I remember that from my sales days. I would most rather have someone tell me no, because that's a starting point that I could still continue on. So embrace those no's. Um, I'd also remain focused on cash and cash flow management. It's a critical need and skill that entrepreneurs uh, have to have, uh, whether they have it or if it's on their team. Um, you need to be able to demonstrate bootstrapping and determine the actual cash you need for the milestone or where you are in the evolution of your business. Um, a lot of times when new companies come to the angels, right, uh, they might start out saying, oh, well, we need a half a million. Well, we're not giving anybody half a million, right? And do you really need a half a million, all right? Um, if you can really determine how much money you need to demonstrate milestones, uh, you have a much greater opportunity to get the funding and also preserve your equity. I mean, if the more money you get up front early on in the process, the more percentage of ownership you have to give up in terms of the entity. Uh, so you, you wanna man manage that risk and reward. And then the last thing I would wanna share is that um, 
whether it's in yourself or as you're developing your team, you need to have both excellent managers and leaders. Um, and they're not the same. Uh, management is about efficiency, uh, doing things right. Leadership is about effectiveness, doing the right things. And um, managers cope with complexity by planning, budgeting, uh, organizing and staffing, uh, controlling and problem solving, where leaders um, cope with change by setting a direction, a vision, uh, motivate, motivating and inspiring. So when you're out there, if you find somebody who has both talents, hire them. I mean, because that, that's something that's a critical success factor for any organization. So those are my three pieces. Be persistent and enthusiastic, embrace the no, cash and cash flow management, and have managers and leaders in the organization. Great. Thanks for that, Rudy. Uh, so we're going to get to questions. If anyone has questions, please submit them to uh, the site, to the uh, Q&A prompt, and I'll start pulling those questions. Uh, before we get to questions, I, I want to ask uh, each of you, just uh, you listed a bunch there, Rudy, but I if did. each of you can just, just share... Uh, just share one thing, one tip for entrepreneurs. Cash is king and what's in it for them. Um, when you communicate your business opportunity, you have to do it in a way that the investment pitch demonstrates how the business is going to be successful and how the investor is going to win. Thank you. Joanne? Yep. Um, I think you know, once you've identified that venture capital is the way you want to go, I think you also have to embrace that fundraising is like a year round activity. A lot of founders, uh, you know, think that, oh, I'm, I'm switching into fundraising mode when really you have to spend the time to build relationships with investors, keep them posted, even when you're not in market. And that will make the actual fundraising process much easier. Great. Thank you. All right. So first question is about, you know, how do folks connect with you folks? So is there, is there, we can certainly, uh, mention your websites and, and where they can find you. But in general, why don't we uh, answer it this way? In general, how would you recommend that entrepreneurs reach out to funders or investors? Is there sort of a, uh, an appropriate or best practices way in general? So we get a, a ton of, of cold emails. I think if you are strategic in, in making sure that you are writing a, a personalized cold email. So, you know, we know, you know exactly what our active investment pieces are. You've identified some connection to a portfolio company of ours. I think that definitely helps. For NVP specifically, we actually run a program called Five Minutes on the Fifth, where uh, my, my colleague and I, Allison Williams, and I um, open up our calendars uh, for a few hours once a month and you can sign up for uh, you know, a short slot and, and anybody can sign up for a slot, talk about um, their pitch, their company, a question about their deck. Um, so you know, look out for those types of opportunities to connect with funds. Great, and they can, again, just go to your website and find all that information, correct? You can go to the website and sign up for a newsletter and then every month in the newsletter, there's a link to um, a, a sign up for five minutes on Great, thank you. And Rudy? Yeah, uh, similarly, uh, Jumpstart New Jersey has a website and an application process. I think it's important that the entrepreneur founder looks at 
the areas that we choose to invest in. There's some, some things like consumer products. We don't have any talent in our membership to really evaluate that and we choose not to invest there. But for the, the industries that we do invest, you know, technology, healthcare, et cetera, uh, we're focused on that. We have an application uh, that's very easy to fill out that kind of gives us a head start in terms of our screening process. If we determine positively that someone meets our objectives, we'll invite them to one of our meetings uh, where they'll present for about 10 minutes, answer questions for about 10 minutes. And then as a group of angel investors, we'll talk about the organization and decide whether we want to follow up right away with uh, extensive due diligence. If we don't, it's not a hard no. It's generally, here are the things that we need to see happen for us to get interested. That assumes someone got through our screening process when we met with them. If we feel an organization's not ready, um, we also don't want to close the door. What we'll generally uh, do um, is invite them to what we call meet the angels. Um, about once a quarter, we have a session where we'll invite uh, you know, entrepreneur founders who haven't passed our screening yet to just meet us and give us their elevator pitch. And if one of the investors in our group says, hey, we think we missed something here, they'll appeal to the mem membership at large and perhaps uh, invite them in. Uh, the one other thing I would tell them to take advantage of is we've implemented like an ambassador program. So if we have an organization who's going to present to us, uh, we can guide them on how we would like to see the pitch. You know, what's important to us, uh, what will impress us, um, somebody's going to provide them some, some guidance along the way. Because we understand it's a difficult process and different groups evaluate differently. So we want to give you the opportunity to impress us and, and we'll help through that ambassador program to do so. Great. Thanks. So uh, someone mentioned, uh, what do you look for in entrepreneurs? Is there one or two characteristics that are really important to you folks? I'll start. Um, it's a skill I don't have, and that's dealing with ambiguity. Um, the environment changes. COVID happens. Um, competition comes in. To what degree can you demonstrate that you can proceed with your vision, your business idea, your opportunity as things change? Because I'm a controlling type of guy, and I like to predict and plan and in the entrepreneurial environment, that's very, very difficult to do. So if someone can demonstrate that they're good at dealing with ambiguity, uh, that's a feather in my cap for them. Great. Thank you. Joanne? Yeah, I, I think uh, it ties to exactly what Rudy mentioned, right? But um, it's, it's also a, a, a clear thoughtfulness about all aspects of the business. I think you know, a, ideas are sort of a dime a dozen, but you have to demonstrate your ability to, to execute on it um, on the near term and short term, um, but also see a vision for the long term um, upside uh, for the investor, right? So it's, again, something that, that Rudy mentioned earlier, you know, who you're, you're, you're speaking to and, and what drives uh, a lot of the decision making there is we need to see that there's a big enough market opportunity down the line. Um, so that near-term viability of the business idea, um, your ability to execute on it, but then also also that vision. 
Great, thank you. Now, what about folks, um, entrepreneurs? How do they find uh, business advisors? Uh, you know, to help ensure that they are successful. Is there any uh, approach that you to feel uh, is is you know the best way? So it is. So it's interesting. I think that a lot of, I think that that's another difficulty. Um, coming out of the pandemic where a lot of times you're, when you're validating your business idea at the early stages, you want to be able to reach out to industry experts or industry veterans to validate it and then also get their, their expertise and you can potentially bring them on as advisors. A lot of times that used to happen more at industry events or, um, you know, entrepreneurial uh ecosystem events, particularly around New Jersey, and Upperly Dickinson has a ton of those as well. Um, and that, that becomes more difficult. Um, participating, if you if there's a chance for you to participate in, in you know, pitch events, virtual pitch events, I think that's an interesting way to um, get started in the ecosystem and get to know some of the consultants and advisors that could be interesting to add to your slate. Um, but it is, it is a challenge, I think, particularly as we're moving into more of a, a digital uh, ecosystem. Okay. Um, I can add to that from the standpoint of, um, I share with a lot of entrepreneur founders the need to develop a brain trust. Um, and you have the traditional legal, accounting, finance kind of expertise that you want to, to have on that brain trust. But as Joanne indicated, people who are associated in the industry um, the founder can't be afraid to reach out to these individuals. And a lot of times, um, and my students will ask me, well, why would someone be motivated to help you? Because you've asked them. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that and that one's ego is stroked to that, uh, you want my advice? Uh, so don't be afraid to reach out to people in the industry who might have that expertise. Uh, recognize that in the angel environment, um, and I would say about half of us in Jumpstart New Jersey, as an example, have an interest to help mentor the entrepreneurial founder. Um, that's part of why we got involved in that um, we want to kind of uh, manage the investment by monitoring the, uh, the activity, the interest of, of the entrepreneurial founder. So people in the angel environment are generally open to doing that. Not all, but many. Great. Um, there's a specific question about um, someone's been using Closing Bench to manage uh, their investments, but he, this person's interested in other, um, other types of platforms or software that investors use. So he asked, what tools do you use or your uh, organizations use to manage investments? Um, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, Jumpstart New Jersey utilizes a tool called ProSeeder. Um, it's really along the lines of identifying, we have a giant funnel of, of different entrepreneurial ventures in different phases of um, their growth, uh, whether they're pre-seed uh, or just starting out or a year or two and needing additional funding. So we manage that um, through an application we call ProSeeder. 
and allows us to see all the information, all of us in the Jumpstart Angel group to see what information the entrepreneurial founder has supplied, uh, changes, documentation, due diligence, et cetera. Um, after we've made an investment, uh, I think individuals monitor the success of the investment differently personally, but ProSeeder is one of the tools that we use to manage it during the funding process. Thank you. And Joanne? Yeah, from a, a technology perspective, we use uh, a CRM system called Copper. So we, we get a lot of, we have various sources for deal flow um, and we input all of that into our, our Copper CRM. And then for portfolio management, we've been collecting information from our founders via a platform called Visible, visible.vc, um, to help kind of on a quarterly basis, get check-ins from all of our companies on the financial health and any business updates. Great, thank you. And um, here's a question about entrepreneurial activity in New Jersey and New Jersey-based uh, ventures. I know you guys see stuff from throughout the region if not outside the region. And how are we feeling about uh, ventures in New Jersey these days? Um, I think there's, there's been some great recent wins in our, our local ecosystem of large rounds being raised. So um, I'm excited about it. And there's, a, a, you know, within our, our own portfolio, a lot of great young budding companies um, that are, continuing to, to grow out of New Jersey, even though, it, again, we're in a very remote and digital ecosystem now. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of great activity. Um, so we're, we continue to be excited about it. Great. Yeah, I, I would add that uh, if you can find a way to be in New Jersey, uh, we love that as a, you know angel investor in that the state is providing some incentives from a, a tax perspective for New Jersey companies for the investor uh, to get some more favorable tax treatment. Uh, and both the uh, New Jersey-based organizations or, or women or minority-based organizations have some uh, tax credits or ways that we look at the investment that's favorable. So we would love it if, uh, if so if you're on the border of New York and New Jersey, come on in. Absolutely. Um... So uh, what about areas of focus these days? So for those young entrepreneurs or those folks just getting started, are there certain sectors that you too see a lot of potential in going forward? Yeah, I, I, I think I mentioned a few of them earlier, but particularly because we are in Newark, um, the supply chain and logistics space, I think is just, so ripe for um, new entrants and technology adoption. Um, and and we've, we've really leaned into that over the last 12 to 18 months as a fund, um, knowing that we have a strategic advantage being in Newark, uh, home of one of the busiest airports, one of the busiest ports, um, being a rail road, uh, rail and road kind of hub of all, all across the Eastern seaboard. Um, so I think there's significant advantage in being a Newark-based founder in the logistics and supply chain space. And, you know, I think that the whole debacle with the, the evergreen blocking the Suez Canal, you see what the, you know, what the 
impact is on business, on individuals, on you getting your Amazon package on time, you know, if one thing in the giant cog wheel goes wrong. So I think it's, it's, it's a fascinating space and we continue to be really interested in it. Great. Yeah, I'll, I'll just add to that. I mean, um, you think of like supply chain and logistics and, and bridges and roads, what's the Biden administration planning to do now, right? The, the tremendous investment that there's gonna be in infrastructure. So if an entrepreneur has the talent and they can figure out you know, where that money is gonna be, uh, that, that would be obviously a, a, an opportunity to take advantage of. Um, I would also say, stay true to yourself. I mean, if you have a, a passion to be an entrepreneur, you know, what are the skill sets or ideas and opportunities you have that make sense for your talents? Um, don't try to force it the other way. Uh, from, a, from a personal perspective, the things that I look for and that members of Jumpstart New Jersey look for are in the technology space, um, healthcare space, the marriage of technology in healthcare, uh, the marriage of technology in the, the finance sector, um, we're interested in the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence. So the, the mega trends that you, you hear on the periphery are things that are of interest to us. Uh, personally, things that motivate me in the area of sustainability. So those are, I, I think if you look at the macro trends, whether it's, it's government investment or where is the cultural interest in terms of health care, uh, sustainability, those are things to take advantage of. Great, thank you. So um, this has been great. At the end of every program, I ask for um, poems or sayings. So I'm gonna, ladies first, Jen, what would you like to uh, share with us? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a, a Teddy Roosevelt quote that I think captures a lot of the sentiment of what we've talked about across a few of the questions today. And that's keep your eyes on the stars and your feet on the ground. So that's mm -hmm. my parting quote for the for this session. Great, thank you. And Rudy? Well, I, I have to end with a poem. And um, there was a number of poems that I enjoy relative to persistence, but I knew we didn't have an hour today. So I, I found one that I've shortened it's from the Ladder of St. Augustine from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And I just have the first stanza and the last stanza that I'll share with you. Um, we have not wings, we cannot soar, but we have feet to scale and climb by slow degrees by more and more, the cloudy summits of our time. The heights by great men reached and kept were not attained by sudden flight, but they, while their companions slept, were toiling upward in the night. Be persistent. Great. Thank you, Rudy. Thank you, Jaren. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.